evening, folks. Glad to, all, glad to see you all came back tonight. Brother Davis, too. He was worried I was going to be preaching on him. I learned things today. You can learn things when you go, go to dinner with people and, and they're eating and they're talking and they're eating and they're talking and they get their guard down. Boy, you can find out lots of stuff. He's a tough one to crack, though. Not really. He really, was, really did not learn anything that I thought was bad. Uh, however, if you want to know anything, just ask his wife or his kids. Because they can tell you, they, the wives and the kids know all the secrets. Uh, did I tell you Exodus chapter 24? Turn to Exodus chapter 24. I, th- I want to thank you folks for being so kind, uh, for stopping by and talking with us this morning. I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to do some fellowshipping uh, tonight as well. Really enjoy uh, fellowshipping with other Christians. One of the greatest things about being a Christian is no matter where you go, if you find a Bible-believing church, you've got brothers and sisters you didn't know that you had. And that is a great thing. And we can have fellowship because our fellowship is based around this book and the God of this book. And uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me back up for a minute. Those young folks that just sang that song, okay, that's a blessing to me. I have not heard that in 30, almost 40 years. 35 years since ago, 30, 36, 37 years ago, I left Maslin Baptist Temple. I was out to college out there and our church did that song. Probably about three times all the time I was there. And I've never heard it since. Now that in and of itself is a blessing. You kids, there's seven of you singing together with no music and you were tight. And one of the things that my father always taught me, we probably weren't nearly as tight. Uh, We've both been fighting coughs and colds and stuff like that. So we haven't been practicing together. When you don't practice together, you can be married for 100 years and you aren't going to be tight. We We were not tight tonight. We haven't been tight all day. But I can tell you this, you kids did a nice job right together. Did I say something fun? Did I say something funny? I apologize. I'm talking musically speaking together. Okay? They were right together. It was it's just a musical term. Oh, brother, brother Dunbar, he's going to shoot me. We better get into the message because I need to get out of town anyways. I am totally embarrassed now and I'm not even sure I know what I said. Exodus chapter 20, and don't tell me, please. My wife will later, and I'll say, oh, I said that. Verse 12. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 12. Hopefully you will remember something from the message. Let me say this. This morning, Sunday school, we talked about bringing others along. Uh, You never know that person that you're going to bring along that's going to turn around and be the greatest blessing in your life. And we saw that in Ruth and Naomi. And then in this morning's message, we saw that, um, now i got to look at my notes because now I'm all befuddled here. We saw how Paul invested in praying, praying for churches and he believed in the investment of prayer. And your prayer investment, you have no idea how far that's going to go. Years from now, your prayer investment today will years from now net a great benefit. I don't know what that is. The people of the church that were in the upper room didn't know. And tonight we're going to talk about making sure you stay on your guard spiritually. Making sure you stay on your guard spiritually and making sure 
that you pay attention to God. Because sometimes God leaves you waiting. And when He leaves you waiting, you can start looking around and saying, well, what is the solution? I'm not hearing anything from God. In verse 12, we read this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Now he's speaking to these elders. He's also speaking to Aaron and Hur. He says, You guys are in charge. Keep things operating the right way. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon, the mount, uh, upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Let's stop here and pray. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. And Lord, I thank you that we can laugh at ourselves. Lord, I thank you for the gift of being able... Uh, being able to realize that uh, foot and mouth disease is a standard, uh, is a standard for most, uh, most people. And Lord, I thank you that these folks are gracious enough to realize uh, that uh, the man that stands before them is frail. And Father, I also pray that you'll help them to hear from you tonight. Father, help the frailties of this fool to, to be able to pre beyond, preach beyond my foolishness and preach your word so that they might hear and that they might be on their guard. Lord, some of these people have been here for many years and it'd be very easy sometimes to look around and say, when is God going to do the next great thing? And wonder if they should wander. And Lord, I pray that you help everybody in this church never to wander. I pray that you'll help them to continue to be faithful and continue to look to you for direction in their lives. And I pray that you'll bless this church many years to, for many years to come, uh, should you tarry your coming. Lord, I pray now that you'll bless my words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We read up to verse 16, and I want you to understand that this is what these men understood. This is what these men understood. Now, we know something that they didn't know at the time. One of the things that we need to remember when we're reading our Bibles is that God uh, puts these things in God's Word, and we know what's going to happen next. You know what's going to happen when Elijah calls up the 850 prophets. I guess 450 showed up, and we know what's going to happen when, when he calls them up. He's going to call down fire and it's going to come down and burn the whole sacrifice and the stones and the water and everything else. And nobody else, nobody's going to get hurt except for those 450 prophets or 850 prophets. And of course, they all die. We know that because we've read God's word. We know what's going to happen every step of the way. You know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to take their stand and it's no big deal because they're going to get dropped into a burning, fiery furnace seven times hotter than it should be and they're going to be okay and we don't think of it as any big deal. But you know, going into that fiery furnace, they didn't know they were going to be rescued. All they knew is they were going to stand for God and that was a big deal. 
these people did not have a clear idea of what we're about to read. Verse 17, And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like the devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. That they did know. Verse 18 is what I'm talking about. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Now I'd like to talk to you about Aaron and her and these 70 prophet or 70 uh, elders tonight. But I want to say this, 40 days is a long time. When they got to the mount it was probably about the first day of the third month. Look at Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. In verse 1 Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. It took them somewhere between two months and a day, or two months, almost three months. I think, because it says in the same day, I think that's the first of the month. But we could say it could be 60 days or up to 90 days. So you'll bracket in there for the time, for, our, for the purposes of our message. Uh, and I would not dispute anyone's opinion at either end of that scale or anywhere in between. All of Israel, including the elders, had only left Egypt two to three months before. That's the point I'm really trying to make. And Moses had been their leader for that time. Now, he had obviously had been in Egypt for a little while. He had, he had had the time where he got together with the Israelites and said, God is going to release us. And then they have nothing but problems with Pharaoh after that. And then the ten plagues come. So there's that period of time there. But when they leave, from the time they leave to now is two to three months, probably two months in a day. <coughs> that would be my thought. That's 60 days or 90 at the outside, at outmost. Moses goes up into the hill and they know he's been commanded to go up into the hill. But God never told them how long he'd be up in the hill. I want you to park that in your minds because when God is working in our lives, we may think we know what the next thing's supposed to be, but it might take a while to get there. And we, we're Americans. We get impatient. If the popcorn's not done in three minutes, throw out the microwave and get a better one. If you can't get your, we were talking about McDonald's. I was talking about McDonald's with Justin earlier. My wife went to McDonald's one day and she ordered two cheeseburgers and a, two cheeseburgers and a small fry, right? Right? Two cheeseburgers and a small fry. Now, as I was explaining to Justin, in, or to Justin, in McDonald's parlance, that is a brand new crew member should be able to handle two cheeseburgers and a small fry. That's not even a big order. Four orders later, she got what she ordered. Four orders in 15 minutes. 
We didn't go back there for a little while, but you want to know what? You want to know how forgiving we are as Americans? We still go back there. Why? Because it's the closest McDonald's. Most of the time, we don't run into that problem either. That was just a really bad day for them. Do you know some people will find something unforgivable? I don't know why I'm off on this, but let me say it. It came to mind, so I'm just going to blurt it out there. Some people are so unforgiving in churches that one little slight they will leave and never come back. That's not a grown-up Christian, folks. By the way, we should never be, we should always be concerned that we don't, that we don't offend somebody. We really should be honestly trying not to offend people. But if you get offended easy, get in this book. Get on your knees. You'll find that a lot less things bother you so much, especially that you would have to leave a church. Anyways, back to this message because I got to get this message started so we can have, we having cake and ice cream or what? You know where my mind's at. We're having both? Nice. Nice. I got a couple kids back there nodding their heads. Yeah. All right. That's where it's at. Now look, uh, turn back to chapter 14. Chapter 14, I want to talk about these men and some of the things that they saw. These men saw some great things happen. In chapters, one, or chapters 7 through 12, these men saw the, 12, the 10 plagues that came upon Egypt, one after another, after another, after another. I don't know if Egypt had any breathing room or not, but I can tell you this, they didn't have a lot of breathing room between plagues. And that was a miserable time for the people of Egypt. Towards the end, even the magicians were looking at Moses and said, how long is, or looking at uh, Pharaoh and saying, how long is Moses going to be a snare unto us? Get them out of here. They're just a problem. But these men saw those ten plagues come upon Egypt. These men, in chapter 14, in verse 13 saw God lead them down to the Red Sea and if you look at a map, as they came up, there was mounds on the north, mounds on the south. They came through a little trail and come out onto a sandbar on the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh's army shows up. They're trapped. They got no way to fight. They've been slaves for, four, for at least two or three hundred years. And because they are slaves, they've got no armament. They got no way to fight against the Egyptians. Who's going to fight for us? What's going to happen now? Verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Now I love this next verse, because this next verse indicates that in the back of Moses' mind, he's praying. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? I didn't see Moses talking to him. But in his mind he's thinking, Lord, he says, we need a solution and fast. 
Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Down to verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And made the sea dry land and, wa and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. They got to go through the Red Sea. Anybody that tells you that they went through the Reed Sea and all the water piled up at one end, you can't have all the water at one end and have a wall on both sides. They got to contradict the Bible. The Bible correctors always do. But that's not what this message is about. So we'll just go on. They saw God deliver the Israelites, bringing them through the Red Sea. But right after that, we see in verse 23, And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the, that in the morning watch the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And I think God's got a sense of humor. Because this had to look like one of those old time movies where everything falls apart. Verse 26. Verse 25. And took off their chariot wheels. That they drave them heavily. Man, I mean one of the funniest things to watch is somebody driving along and all of a sudden the wheel comes off. Now, you don't want, you don't want to see that when it's your car. We... We were headed to work one day, and, and we're getting on, just about to get on Route 90. And we come up on, this, on the ramp, just about to the toll booths, back when we had toll booths. And all of a sudden, the car acted like it had a flat tire. My poor wife was driving. Every time something happens to the car, my wife is driving. Now, I know she's not drag racing anymore because, you know, we spent too much money for bail money. So, um, I'm just kidding. I'm going to pay for that. It's going to be a long walk to Syracuse. Yes. Uh, no, seriously, it just seems like sometimes, and ladies, you know this, especially if your husband is real good about keeping up with the car, and we, we take our car to a mechanic, but, and, and he does a good job, but it always seems like you're the one that inherits the problem. Isn't that right? And you call your husband, the first thing he says, what did you do? I'm with her. She didn't do anything wrong. One of the, one of the, one of the rear uh, A-frames broke. It wasn't funny at the time, but it had to look kind of funny because this poor lady stops a car in the middle of the road and she looks at me and says, what do I do now? I said, well, let's try to get off the road. She's trying to squeeze it off the road and we're dodging trucks and cars and people coming down through. And took off their chariot wheels. Back to the message. And took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that there came that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. 
These men saw the ten plagues. These men saw God divide the Red Sea and let the Israelites through. And he also saw God turn around and put the water right back in when the Pharaoh's people got in there, when the Egyptians got in there and got in there in the middle. And they saw God destroy the Egyptian army with the same path that he had used to rescue them. Hey, that's a that that would almost preach as a whole message by itself. God makes paths for you and I that will destroy the wicked. That's a good message. If somebody wants to steal that, go ahead and write it and send me a copy so I can so I can plagiarize it. <clears throat> Chapter fifteen and verse twenty-two. They get out of this, and you know the Israelites have a real problem. They're kind of dumber than a box of rocks. God brings them out of Egypt and He rescues them, and then they get into a problem. They say, "Did God bring us out here to die?" No, he didn't bring you out here to die. He brought you out here to give you the victory. You say, well, what is the victory? Sometimes the victory involves us working, and sometimes it involves us waiting for God to do what God does best, which is do what we can't do. Man cannot split the Red Sea, but God can. Man cannot split the Red Sea, but God can. And God can time it just right so that Israel gets through and Egypt doesn't. I'm not going to preach that message tonight because I haven't got it written. But then in chapter 15 and verse 22. And so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses saying, What shall we drink? And he goes to God and he says, what do I do now? Verse 25. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. These men saw God make bitter water sweet. Chapter 16 and verse 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died in the land in the, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Now you folks have read your Bibles enough, you know that he sends manna from heaven. Later on in this chapter, he also says he's going to bring in quail. Uh, verse 13, And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, Behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. God made sure they were fed. These guys, these men, saw God send quail for supper and manna from heaven for breakfast. 
These men saw water come from a rock, chapter 17 and verse 1. And all the children of Israel, all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this, that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And by the way, they get downright mean. They get out of sorts. They get worried about a problem they got. And what do they do? They get mean with the man of God. He didn't bring them there. He, didn't, he was just doing what God told them to do. And when he did what God told them to do, they were blessed. But you know, they ran into problems. You want to know what? Your life is going to be full of problems. Why? Because you're a human being. And you live with human beings. And you work with human beings. And you go to church with human beings. Which means everybody's got sin. You're going to have problems. And some of those problems will be because of sin directly, and some of those will just be because this old sin-sick world is just falling apart. Verse 5, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. They had water. These men saw God make water come from a rock. Look a little later in this chapter, verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men. And go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. Listen, folks, when your pastor gets tired, it's good to have somebody holding up his hands. And listen, when your fellow Christian is tired, it's good to hold up his hands. Ladies too. Uh, ladies help ladies. Men help men. But the fact is, we need to help one another. And sometimes, sometimes all you need is somebody just to come sit with you while you mourn. Job's friends did good until they started talking. If they'd have just let Job run his mouth, it would probably been done about chapter 4. And we wouldn't have seen a lot of what was in chapter 4. But I digress. They stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. By the way, where do you think they got the swords? I think that God took a lot of the Amalekites out. Maybe he turned their swords on one another as he did in other scripture passages. This speculation, we don't know that for sure, but somehow they got swords. The Israelites got swords, and they, I think they got them from the Amalekites. These men saw God make water come from a rock. These men saw God help Israel defeat 
Amalek when Moses' hands were held up. These men got to Mount Sinai in chapter 19 as we were just reading. In verse 16 it says this, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder Moses spake and God answered him by a voice and the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mount and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount and Moses went up this is another time that he went up. We saw in chapter 24 that he went up, but he goes up here as well. And in chapter 20, in verses 1 through 18, we won't read those verses for time's sake, but God gives the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. He tells them what those Ten Commandments are. They hear this from the voice of God. They hear from the voice of God these Ten Commandments. That's a message that will preach in and of itself as well. So let's do a quick review. These men saw the ten plagues in Egypt. They saw the dividing of the Red Sea. They saw the, in their rescue, they saw the destruction of Egypt in that same Red Sea. These men saw God make bitter waters sweet. These men saw God send quail for supper and manna for breakfast. These men saw God make water come from a rock. These men saw God help Joshua defeat the Amalekites when Moses' hands were held up. These men saw God make Mount Sinai smoke. And these men saw God give or heard God give the Ten Commandments. There's nine things. Now look at chapter 24 again. Because we skipped something in the first part of the message. And I did it on purpose. Because I wanted to bring you back to this point where, these, where Moses goes up to the mound and he's there for 40 days. But right before that it says in verse 9, Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw, they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet as it were a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Can you imagine as a human being seeing God Almighty? Look, we see some wonderful things. We see some big things that man can do. We see some big things in nature. There's just some really awe-inspiring things in nature. There are some awe-inspiring things that man can do. How many of you have ever seen an aircraft carrier up close and personal? I saw the USS Enterprise in 1975 or 6. My Uncle Vic was a guard down at Norfolk. And I think it was the Enterprise that was there. He said, it's over a thousand feet long, buddy. Over a quarter of a mile long, I think is what he said. That was the biggest thing I'd ever seen that was man-made. Incredible, and they're bigger now. And that's not all the biggest stuff that people make. People can make some pretty good-sized stuff. Human beings. 
But they saw all of this happen from God. And they saw God Almighty in all of His glory and it didn't kill them. Upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. You know what that means? That means they lived long enough for their next meal. Think about this. They saw God. They physically saw with their own eyes, they saw God. I hope I'm not belaboring that point. It is important for us to understand that they saw something that most people will never see. Solomon got two face-to-faces with God. Elijah got to see the back parts. I think Moses got to see his back parts in all of his glory. He wouldn't, wouldn't let him see his face. But here they're seeing God and they're surviving. These men saw God. Now, I want you to think about this now in defense of what we're going to see was their stupidity. I want you to think about this. They were out of the land 60 days. They were in the, or they were in the wilderness 60 days before they got to Sinai. And then the Lord starts doing this stuff and Moses goes into the mountain for 40 days. That's two-thirds of the time that they've been free. Everything has moved fast right up to this point, and now everything seems to stop. And over a period of 40 days, they start thinking, what's going to happen? Where's Moses? Why isn't he coming back? And in chapter 32, we see the worst thing in the world happen. Verse 1, Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving, graving, graving tool. After that he had made it a molten calf. Now that's a cast. That's a casting. I'm in a business that does cast iron and ductile iron. And anything that's cast takes time to make mold. It takes time to make a pattern. And there's multiple pieces to the pattern and they have to assemble all of those pieces and plan <coughs> for how those pieces are going to come together. And then when they put all those pieces together, they have a hole or maybe several holes where they inject the molten metal, whatever it is. And that's, that's how they did this. This took more than a day or two to do this. This took some time. So everything that happened here happened in less than 40 days. But Moses had been gone long enough that everybody's wondering, is Moses coming back? I mean, after 10 days, I think they'd probably be thinking, you know, I wonder what's going on with Moses. Boy, he's been up there a long time. After 20 days, I'm sure other people were talking and more people were talking. And they're whispering to each other and maybe they're talking out loud. Hey, you know, I don't know if Moses is coming back. And somewhere in here, these people get together and they go to Aaron and they say, make us gods because Moses is gone. We need a God to follow. 
Obviously, Moses or Aaron's response was absolutely terrible. And it was just plain dumb. Remember this, he saw God. Notably absent from this scene, though, is her and the 70 elders. They go to Aaron, and Aaron takes charge in the absolute worst kind of way, and her and the 70 elders are nowhere to be found. What in the name of heaven is wrong with these people? Where are they? What are they doing? Are they hiding in their tents? Are they oblivious to what goes on around them? You know, men can get focused on what they're focused on and not pay attention to what's going on around them. Guilty. Ladies, I'm sure you could do that too, but I wouldn't have any experience being a lady, so I'll just, I'll just stick with accusing the men. Uh, we, can, we can get focused on something, and we can totally not be paying attention to what's going on around bombs dropping and everything. And we're reading that book that's really got our interest. Or that football game. Man, don't you drop an M80 outside the door while you're watching the football game. And the wife says, what was that? And you're like, what was what? I didn't hear nothing. Totally focused. Best play of the game and an M80 goes off outside the house. And everybody's panicking except the guy watching that best play of the football game. Notably absent from this scene is her and the 70 elders. Maybe the people caught Aaron when he was alone. You know, that's how people cause uprisings in church. They'll gather a group of people and they'll cause... They'll go to the pastor when he's alone. And they'll catch him off guard. No warning. This seems a bit unlikely because a large group of people gathering at Aaron's tent would have been readily noticed by her and the elders. But sneaky people are sneaky people. We were talking about sneaky people today. We had some sneaky people at Temple Baptist Church when my father was the pastor. But think about this. It would mean that these guys were totally unaware of what was going on. They may not have been in a position to know. Or maybe they hadn't been paying attention. Maybe they just expected that Aaron was strong enough and wise enough to do the right thing without them. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we get the idea that that fellow Christian is a strong Christian. Man, they're there every Sunday. They're, they're for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. They're there on visitation. Uh, they, uh, they get involved in all of the church activities, and they are there constantly. And they give and tithe. They tithe and give above a tithe. They sing in the choir. They sing all the hymns like they really mean it. They can't possibly be weak. We had a maple tree in our backyard. And uh, I think that anybody that plants trees in their yards just needs to be prepared to do a lot of work. But this maple tree predated us. And we had a thunderstorm that split that tree. Half of it went down on our fence and half of it came down in the yard. And when we looked inside, it didn't just split that tree. It let us know that that tree was going to die soon anyways. That thing was eaten out, out on the inside, inside out. From the inside, it was being eaten by carpenter ants. After they lost their tree, they tried to move into our house. That was fun. We took care of that at that point. 
But they maybe they just expected he was wise enough and strong enough to handle it on his own. And we can't count on that with each other. We need to pray for one another. Why? Because the time that they get hit, they might be at their weakest point in life. They may have been strong all their life and coming to a point where they're not starting not to be so strong. They give warnings all the time. You know, to, to younger people, watch, for, watch out for your parents. When people reach a certain age, get your kids involved if you're going to make any financial decisions because people will come along and try to deceive you. And once very bright people can get to the point where they don't quite see a scam like they could have at one time. And the same is true for spiritual scams. No matter which of the above is true, they definitely should have noticed, these guys definitely should have noticed, and should have been involved by the time the calf was revealed to the people. But not a one of them is recorded as having said a word against it. It was almost as if they forgot that they saw God. Note that the calf was already being worshipped when Moses came off the mount. That was at 40 days. This means it didn't take that long for him to forget. I made point of that earlier, so we'll go on. But again, just to, just to belabor that point, they saw God and said nothing. The people waiting upon Moses had become impatient. And here's some things to take from this message as we actually get ready to close. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 10 if you will. We'll be there in a couple of minutes. Grab Ecclesiastes on your way through. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. But go to Hebrews, get that, and then Hebrews chapter 10 is what we're going to look at first. Hebrews chapter 10. Here's some things for you and I to keep in mind as we proceed in our Christian walk. Number one. If you, have been in a, if you have been a Christian for any amount of time, and many of you have, you have seen God work in your life. Did not the Israelites, we read, we read what the Israelites said, and do not we look and say, boy, they are dumb on steroids. Don't we? Man, how could they be so stupid? God rescues them, then they get into another problem. The first thing to do is gripe and say, what, does God bring us out here to die? No, he brought you out here to show what God can do. And maybe, he show, maybe he's brought you out here so he can show you how to get the victory on something. Either way, we've seen those things in our lives and then we forget the next time we get a problem. We're like, oh, why is God doing this to us? Uh, God wants to show you something. And got to say, I'm guilty sometimes. Why? Because I didn't see it coming. I didn't see a problem coming and all of a sudden I got a problem. And instead of just going to God and saying, God, this is a real problem. It's really bothering me. I really need, need to know how you want me to handle this. We just panic and we try to fix it ourselves. But you have seen God work in your life. And you should be able to recognize when he has performed miracles in your life. When he has performed miracles through your life. And even sometimes for you. Number two, if you know other Christians, which is kind of silly to say because you know other Christians, uh, you at least know the Christians in here, then you know of situations in their lives in which God has performed a miracle in their, in their life or through their life or even for them in their lives. 
Number three, when the dark times come and it does not seem like God is giving you answers or coming through with solutions, go back to him. Go back to him and say, God, I don't see a solution yet. Sometimes God just wants you to go back to him and relay your heart to him. God respects somebody who is honest with him. I do not recommend that you rebuke God in front of the church. I don't recommend that you come here and complain about God. If you're reading the Bible, that doesn't go over well. But you know, when you get alone with God and you tell Him what's on your heart, He'll listen to you. And then He'll put His hand on your shoulder and say, Son, it's okay. Daughter, it's okay. I'm going to help you take care of it. I'm working this out. I'm working it out my way. Uh, if you ever get in a situation where, where things are really dark in your life, and uh, some, some, somebody in here I was talking with today said, one of the reasons it gets dark is because we put our hands in front of our eyes. And I think that's a pretty good way to do it. Maybe it's we get boo-hooing and our hands in front of our eyes and we can't see the solution. I don't know, but, that's, but things sometimes become cloudy to us. Remember that God always does things on His time, and He is always on time. Also remember this, God is always good, and God is never wrong. Say that with me. God is always good, and God is never wrong. Say it one more time. God is always good, and God is never wrong. Remember that. Go home and say that tonight. Say, listen, in lieu of your other, other things that you might say to memorize, memorize that thing because you're going to need it someday. And when the trouble comes, you just got to say, God is always good and God is never wrong. Lord, what are you doing? And it's okay to get alone with him. By the way, a reference for you to read. Psalm 73. This was going to be my other message tonight. I'm not going to preach it, I promise. But in Psalm 73, the man that starts that psalm, the man that writes that psalm is Asaph. In the first 16 verses, he is not right with God. And he complains to God for 12 verses or 10 verses about how good the unrighteous have it. And then he spends another four verses, another four verses, talking to God and telling him all the good things that he did. And he says, and you aren't taking care of me. And then in verse 17, it says, until I went into the temple of God, or went into the sanctuary of God, in verse 17. When you get close to God, when you get close to God, you start thinking like God. Read Psalm 73, you'll find out. Don't do it now, we're not done with this message. Remember this, number four, God is still on the throne. The God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God... Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God of heaven, is still on the throne. He still reigns supreme and he is still all powerful. If he has you waiting, think about this. If you are waiting, oh, I hate to wait. <coughs> and I do, I hate to wait. If he has you waiting, he has a good reason. Now, I always tell him he's unreasonable. Well, not always. But I have told him I thought it was unreasonable. But he always 
puts his hand on my shoulder and says, don't worry, little boy, you'll get it right. It'll come with the right time. If he has you waiting, he has a good reason, so keep being patient. Here's another thing. Don't try to solve your problems. Uh, let me back up. Here's something I also want to say with that. If he has you waiting, he has a good reason, so keep being patient. Keep praying for the right solution. And let me say this. Get your prayer list out and start praying for other people. I said this this morning. Everybody's got problems. So anybody you can pick, you can look around the room, spin around and stop and point. Oh, there I got David. Okay, he's got problems. Now, I don't know what they are. I don't need to know what they are. But I can tell you this. He is a human being. He's a sinner. And somewhere along the line, he's got a trouble in his life. <clears throat> and it might be a big trouble. It might be a small trouble. But if I've got him on my prayer list, I can pray for him. And every other name in here, be praying for him. Why? Because they remind you that they have troubles too. And you stop looking at your troubles as such a big deal. Here, don't try to solve your problems without His guidance and blessing. Because you will never do as well without Him as you will with Him. Let me say that again. Don't try to solve your problems without His guidance and blessing. You will never do as well without Him as you will do with Him. And the reason being is, chances are very good you're going to do the wrong thing. If you go off on your own, you will probably make a mess of things. If you go off on your own, you will probably make a mess of things. Now Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I lied, I got three scriptures, not two. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Listen, folks, we need to make sure that we don't waver, but there's a problem. The world, the waves that the world throws our way are bigger than we can handle. The waves that come our way are bigger than we can handle. Verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We need to provoke one another unto love and to good works. And all of this is said in conjunction with verse 25 that says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, this church has Sunday school at 10 o'clock in the morning. You know where you can find other Christians at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning? Right here at Freedom Baptist Church. If you need encouragement, or you need, by the way, we're supposed to encourage one another, so we need to be there to encourage somebody who needs it. We might need to be there to be encouraged. 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. You guys do 7 o'clock on Wednesdays? Is it 7 o'clock? Okay, 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. You know where you can find Christians all of those times. You might find one at the, you might find a fellow Christian at the gas station or at the grocery store or something else. But you can guarantee you're going to find a whole parcel of Christians if you're here. And you might say, well, I don't need them, but they need you. Your pastor needs you. Every time he looks out in this congregation and somebody isn't here, he knows who isn't here. And your pastor, like the, like the shepherd with the 90 and 9, he's got 90 and 9 that are safe. He's got one missing. You know what he does? He goes off in the wilderness to find the one. 
And that'll put, that'll put a preacher's mind out there wandering around, wondering what's going on with somebody. We need one another. We need to be here to encourage one another. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. Two men can carry more than those two men can carry as individuals. I don't know why that is, but two men that are carrying something, they can handle more weight, they handle it with more strength. By the way, you get something that's big and bulky, sometimes it's much more easy to handle with two people. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. I always think of this as a guy falling in a pit. Or in quicksand, like in the movies years ago. I don't know, do they ever do quicksand in movies? In the, never mind, don't answer, I don't want to know who goes to the movies. Okay, but, but back, in, back when I was a kid, you know, quicksand was like one of those things that showed up in every third or fourth movie. Everybody was falling in quicksand. Verse 12, and if one prevail against him, Two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Listen, as a group, we wind up with more strength. We wind up with more strength as Christians. And last but not least, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll be done. 1 Peter chapter 5. I told you the verse already. That was one of the cardinal things. Dad always said, don't give him the verse. Until you get there yourself, because you'll look dumb if they're there before you are. So I asked him, I said, so if we don't give them the verse and we get there first, does that make them look dumb? He says, don't answer that question. And I just, there I go, putting it out there, sorry about that. Chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, humble, therefore, humble yourselves therefore, oh this is verse 6 by the way, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Can I say this? I think the devil put it in the minds of certain Israelites to go to Aaron and say, Yup, make us God, something that we can follow. Moses is missing. We're, we're just, we just don't know what to do. So we need something that we can worship. And they're whining. Yes, they're whining. I can't stand whining. So I'll stop doing it. Your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Keep your guard up. This is the last thing. Keep your guard up. Listen, folks, you've all seen God work in your lives. But not a one of you has seen God. You've seen God work. But you've not seen God. These men saw God. They physically with their eyes saw God. And they forgot. If that's true, you and I that have not seen God can forget. We need to be on our toes spiritually. We need to remember the God of heaven. And every time there is a problem, the first thing you and I need to do is go to the Lord. 
Because if we go to the Lord first, we get in His Word and we pray and we ask Him for direction, ask Him for comfort, ask Him for peace. Sometimes the only thing God gives is that peace that passes all understanding that we talked about this morning. And sometimes that's all you need to make it through until He parts the waters. You see, for God, the Red Sea was child's play. He created the Red Sea. He didn't just take a bunch of water and put it in there. He, put, he made the water. He didn't just create where the water sat, or He didn't just, just put it all together and pan it out with His hands. He created the materials of the basin that held the Red Sea. He created all of it. For Him, every miracle is child's play, including your problem. When He's ready, He'll answer. Until then, we pray and we ask Him for direction. And we make sure that we don't go worshiping other gods or fall down at the feet of the world or go to the world like Elimelech did. We try to keep our... And just remember, we can always be redeemed, but redemption means that there's a mess to clean up. If we stay the course, there's far fewer messes to clean up. And we can be used of God in a mighty way. Israel was still used. Elimelech's family was still used, although Elimelech wasn't there to see it. So many people have succeeded down through the years because they put their trust in God and they stayed the course trusting God. And folks, you and I need to stay the course and trust God for every answer to every problem. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. Lord, I hope I have not belabored these points. I hope that this will be a help to each individual in here. Lord, help us to love you with all of our hearts. Help us to serve you faithfully. Help us, Father, please help us. When a trial comes, help us to turn to you first and say, what, do you, what would you have me do? What, are you, you, what do you want me to do, Lord? Shall I stand fast? Shall I wait? Shall I move forward with it? this thing or that thing? Lord, help us if ideas come to our mind. Help us to go to you first and make sure that that's what we're supposed to do. <coughs> help us, Lord, to trust you with all of our hearts and help us to wait upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.